nearly 2,000 years earlier. On the first Easter morning, women walked toward a tomb with no reason for hope. A week earlier, Jesus willingly entered the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with shouts of praise and great joy by pilgrims who were entering the holy city. But by the end of the week, Jesus is dead and buried. As far as Jesus' followers were concerned, the week was a total disaster. They had loved him. They had devoted their lives to him to be with him, to be blessed by him and to watch as he blessed others and healed others. He had excited their hopes for the kingdom of God. He had given them a reason to believe that God was coming in order to liberate and to show forth power. But at this point, it seems that their hopes have been nailed to a cross. Let's now step into the story in Luke's gospel on that first Easter morning as women arrive to the tomb to prepare an important burial ritual. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Oh God, how we pray that you will break through the, film, the familiarity of this story and that we too may be startled. May we be renewed in our love and affection for you, God. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On that first Easter, the grieving women had no reason for hope. But God comes with an infusion of hope for those who were teetering on the edge of despair because of the sacrificial death of Jesus. People powerless to save themselves experience a grand reversal. I read recently a fascinating article that that really caused me pause. It's about someone who is preoccupied with death. A lengthy interview with television personality Larry King claimed that the now 82-year-old King is fixated on death. 
The New York Times Magazine interviewer wrote, Sean King, his seventh wife, told me that Larry talked so much about his demise that he started to upset, upset their teenage sons. And she had to tell him to knock it off. He kept saying, listen, I'm not going to be around much longer, boys. Sean said, whatever you do, don't let your mother put me in a home. Recently, Larry and Sean met with some insurance and lawyer types to go over their family trusts. They were talking about his will and who got what in the tax ramifications. After about 20 minutes, Larry said, wait a minute, I won't be here when this happens, I won't exist. Everything in that conversation has nothing to do with me. For the emphatically non-religious king can't see how one's life story ends up well if the end result is death. And he is working hard to avoid death. The article continues, King takes four human growth hormone pills every day, and he claims he is feeling great. But in case of death, King has arranged to have his body frozen and then thawed out when researchers discover a cure for whatever killed him, the so-called cryonics approach. King told me later that the people beyond cryonics are all nuts, but at least if he knows he will be frozen, he will die with a shred of hope. Other people have no hope, King said. Other people have no hope. I believe buried deep within all of us is a longing for hope. A longing to know that there is something to look, look, live for and to look forward to beyond our current circumstances. Because of the resurrection of Christ, God asks us to hope again, but where does our hope come from? Smith Magazine is best known for <clears throat> launching the six-word memoir project. Its tagline, everyone has a story. The online community promotes the power of personal storytelling and believes in particular in the power of the short form. The six-word memoir project began with the simple invitation. Can you tell your life story in six words? Can you distill your life down in six words to what is most important, memorable, or noteworthy about you? There are now more than a million six-word memoirs posted online. I'm looking forward to working on my own six-word memoir. Screenwriter Nora Ephron posts, Secret of Life, Marry an Italian. <laughs> Stephen Colbert's six words, well, I thought it was funny. Some six-word stories are poignant. For example, I still make coffee for two. One teen offered, we're the family you gossip about. Wisdom from an eight-year-old, life is better in soft pajamas. <clears throat> it's also a way to get to the essence of faith. Friends, we use a lot of words to explain the crux of the Christian faith. Yet for all of its complexities and mysteries and all that has been written and will continue to be written and spoken and sung and shared about Christianity, 
The Christian faith has a six-word memoir, and here it is. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is risen from the dead. These six words caused Peter to race from the tomb and to share with others, amazed at what has happened. It is these six words that have taken us from a small group of people huddled in fear to a community of over two billion followers of Christ throughout the world. These are the words that are whispered to loved ones beside hospital beds and proclaimed at memorial services. These are the words that have been forbidden by governments, ancient and current. Yet somehow still, the story is told. Jesus is risen from the dead. This is the story of the Christian faith, but here's the question for us this morning. Is it the foundation of our own story? I'd actually like to invite us to sit with the notion of doubt for a moment, because I know we all live with doubt from time to time. The opposite, friends, of faith is not doubt. It is unbelieving. Faith and doubt can coexist. This is important for us to understand because we all have both faith and doubt within us at times, just like the earliest disciples. Doubt is honest, and constructive doubt can lead to faith. The 19th century theologian Soren Kierkegaard suggests that for one to truly believe in God, one would also have to have times of doubting one's belief. For doubt is that rational part of us that weighs evidence, that searches for truth and light, so that a person's belief evidentially really has substance. Doubt as a path toward deeper belief lies at the story of Thomas in the New Testament, who needed to see and to touch the resurrected Jesus in order to believe. It's as if Thomas is from Missouri, the show-me state. For him, faith is more daunting. Thomas provides a template for all subsequent disciples like us, who don't get the experience of actually seeing or touching Jesus, a physically resurrected Jesus, and are challenged to believe. But there is also danger to doubt. You can be overcome with doubt. The root meaning of doubt is two or double. It is the whole idea of being double-minded. To doubt is to be of two minds. There is a Chinese expression that likens doubt to having one foot in two boats. There is nothing wrong with honest doubt and to wrestle and to examine and to search and to question, but we don't want to camp there forever. Eventually, we will have to declare our allegiance and we'll have to choose which boat we are going to stand in, which involves a leap of faith. Back to those first disciples, one key way, one very key way that we know the resurrection is not a work of fiction is because of how those first disciples were changed. Brothers and sisters, the rapid growth of the early church, it is unexplainable apart from an empty tomb. 
It is simply unexplainable, unless the tomb was empty. However, an empty tomb in and of itself does not present present a persuasive argument for the resurrection. An empty tomb just means that the body was not there. The burden of the Christian proclamation was on the experience of the risen Christ by his followers. Most of the early witnesses came to faith in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, not because they couldn't find his dead body, but because they found Christ alive. Not because they could not find his dead body, but because they found Christ alive. At least nine of the early apostles gave their lives for saying Jesus walked out of a tomb. After the resurrection, they insisted to their dying breaths that they had physically seen Jesus bodily resurrected. Not a one of them would make a deal with authorities to save themselves. Prior to the resurrection, Peter lied to save himself. After the resurrection, he would not deny allegiance to Christ even to the point of death. Eventually, Peter was hung upside down and crucified. Because of his belief in a resurrected Jesus, something real happened that transformed people in a powerful way. We don't really know how it happened But the disciples who were there knew that it happened. There was a clear impact on the people who saw this event. 2,000 years later, nothing less than the power of the risen Christ could inspire Christ followers around the world to remain faithful despite bullying, prison, torture, and death. Jesus is risen from the dead. That is the thrilling message of Easter, one you can bet your life on. Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church and the author of Purpose Driven Life, together with his wife Kay, they went through a devastating loss when their 27-year-old son Matthew, a few years back, took his life after a long struggle with depression and mental illness. After about a year following this tragedy, Rick remarked, I have often been asked two questions. How have you made it? And how have you kept going in your pain? There have been times, many of you here today, I am confident, have been asked those questions as too. How have you made it? And how have you kept going in your pain? Rick Warren often replies, the answer is Easter. Warren shares, you see, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was the day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was the day of doubt and confusion and misery, but Easter that Sunday, that was the day of hope and joy and victory. And here's the fact of life. 
that we will face those three days over and over and over during our lifetime. And when you do, you'll find yourself asking, as Warren did, three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do in my days of pain? Two, how do I get through my days of doubt and agony? And three, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? The answer is Easter. Friends, the truth of an empty tomb and a resurrected Jesus, it changes everything. It changes everything about death and it changes everything about life. You don't have to be afraid anymore. The one who knows what we are like and who knows our names gave himself freely for our sake on the cross. And he longs for us to have fellowship with him and to trust ourselves entirely to his mercy and to his grace and to bless us with the richest, most glorious, purposeful life imaginable and to change our hearts and to give us power and peace and the courage to live and to love like Jesus. In the words of Jesuit priest Father Martin, Easter says above all that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if he is Lord and if you are a Christian, then what he says has a claim on you. His teachings, they are invitations to be sure, but they are also commands. Love your neighbors. Forgive. Care for the poor and the marginalized. Live a simple and generous life. Put the needs of others before yours. What difference does Easter make? Easter means nothing is impossible with God. Moreover, that life triumphs over death. Love triumphs over hatred. Hope triumphs over despair. And suffering will not be the final word. We do not face a hopeless end. We face an endless hope. The death and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ gives meaning and purpose to everything. Death is not the final word, and we have new life in Christ. There is hope for a better world and a better us. Go and tell this good news to the world. Jesus is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? Oh God, how profoundly grateful we are for Christ's victory over death. We thank you that you have come to restore all creation and to make all things new, including us. God, as Christ burst forth from the tomb, may new life burst forth in us. And may it show itself in acts of love and healing to a hurting world. God, your resurrection is a source of great joy. All praise and honor, glory and power and dominion to you and to you alone this Easter morning. We pray together. Amen.